Nicholas Brown is an artist of many dimensions, actor, playwright, singer, songwriter and screenwriter. The Australian Indian actor has filled roles from genial host on Play School, presenting a multicultural face to a young audience, to a foray into the celebrated Bollywood film industry, making his mark in a succession of villainous roles. Direct from secondary education, Nick was one of the youngest actors to be accepted into training at NIDA. Roles in Packed to the Rafters, White Collar Blue, Home and Away and The Cooks followed, along with unique experiences performing in theatre at various international festivals. Songwriting and performing has always been a passion and for several years he hosted SBS Radio's Pop Desi program, broadcasting the biggest Bollywood, Bangra and Desi pop selection in Australia. A move to Mumbai saw him develop a repertoire of Bollywood films including Love You to Death, Sedition, Pratichia and the lead role in the highly successful Kites. Nicholas Brown is currently appearing in the Australian premiere production of Come From Away. The musical opens tonight in Melbourne. It plays the Comedy Theatre before a tour to other states. The conversation commenced with Nick introducing me to his favourite film, Labyrinth. It's iconic. Why didn't it do very well? I don't know. I was four. Well, okay. But you loved it. I did love it. Many people love it. I think people, kids who were around that time loved it. Who were born around that time loved it. How many times have you seen it? Hundreds of times. Really? The soundtrack was so good. David Bowie wrote all the music for it, so it was really 80s. So it was a musical? It was a musical. Oh, it is a musical? Yeah. It's a Muppet Muppet film. Sing. Muppet Sing with David Bowie. Goblins. Yeah, it's like a fairy tale, like a dark gothic kind of fairy tale. You'd love it. Would you have given that the red light if you'd read the treatment on paper? Hell yeah. David Bowie and Muppets sing. Yeah. Okay. Labyrinth. He has this iconic cod piece that um, was a call for many, I think, to um, <laughs> to arms. People talk about it all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, his outfits. I'll give it a look. You must see it. It's pretty amazing. Labyrinth. Yeah. Um. So you're down in Melbourne for Come From Away. I am, yes. How are you enjoying Melbourne? Melbourne is trendy and cold and um, arty. I've actually never lived here. I've only ever been down for short stints. Right. I'm very much a Sydney cider. Well, it's lovely to be here. Um, it is lovely to be here. Cold is probably the operative word that I would choose. It's, yeah. uh, it's freezing. I don't mind the cold. Don't you? Well, it gives you a... A chance to wear your big coats and your scarf. Yeah. Gloves. Strut around in nice outfits that you can't wear in Sydney. Yeah. Yeah. You really can put on a coat in Sydney. In Sydney. True. Yeah. yeah. You're looking very smart in your coat. Well, Pete. I'm freezing. Are you, do you want me to turn the heater on? No, no. It's Are you all right? That's yeah, good. We'll dry good. our throats out. Are you sure I will turn the heater on? No, no. I'm not going to dry my throat out. I've got this lovely Tootsie tea. Got in, labyrinth. A, in a labyrinth. Not Tootsie. 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 Holy basil. It's from India. Oh, really? Holy so this basil. Is a, there's no tea leaves, it's all basil. It's holy basil, it's different. Tulsi. Tulsi's different to normal basil. It, it's been blessed or something. It's Ayurvedic. It's, a, it's an Indian herb. Indian herbal tea. Try it, it's lovely. What's Ayurvedic mean? Ayurveda is an ancient um, form of uh, healing, I suppose. And um, you, uh, you, you can get diagnosed and find out... Um, what your pitta is, there's certain words um, that tell you what to, uh, body type you are and then they ask you questions about your surroundings um, and then they give you certain herbs that can help you heal. Yeah, it's an ancient Indian um, 
Terrific. Uh, form of healing, yeah. Because you are, of course, of Australian Indian heritage. I am, yeah. Did you have much of the culture growing up? I did not. No? No. My parents are both Anglo-Indian. Right. Which is a, a legitimate race in itself that developed over the hundreds of years that the British were over in India. But my parents were born over there with British last names and were brought up as Christians over there and considered themselves British or European. And even now they don't say or admit to being Indian. Really? So I grew up being a brown guy thinking I was white because my parents never ever said that I was Indian. Yeah, they never. So it was never never discussed in the family. It it was just denied that when I would say I'm brown, I'm Indian, they'd say no, you're not. You're Australian. We're British. We're British, and that's that goes back um, as far as I can remember. My parents saying that to me. My mum particularly. Pardon my ignorance, but is is that tied in with the caste system and all that? Was it a a different thing? Not so much with the caste system. It was more about what happened with the British, because. uh, the Anglo-Indians were mixed race. They were half Indian, half British. And uh, obviously, if you were white during that time, during the days of the British Raj, you, um, you were better than everyone else. And if you were completely Indian, then you were looked down upon. And then if you were in between, you could kind of get away with being, um, being white, but then you'd always be referred to as brown as well. So Anglo-Indians are kind of stuck in between both races. Yeah. Um, and the, the fair ones could get away with uh, what the British could and the darker ones couldn't. So in, um, in India, um, and very much um, this, is still, this is still happening, um, yeah, you're, you're well off if you're fairer. Yeah. More chance of getting married, of getting a job, all of those sorts of things. Yeah. Do, you, do you find fairer Indians in certain parts of India? I mean, is it because with Italy also, you can have... You know, um, I think it's Sicily uh, lived to be more blonde, etc. So, were there parts of India where definitely down south people are a lot darker? The south right. Indians tend yeah. to have darker skin, and up north and in Kashmir, you tend to get uh, people with green kind of eyes or fairer hair, lighter skin. Um, but yeah, my, my family don't consider this themselves Indian, they still don't. So, what brought them to Australia? Um, they met in Sydney, um, and they were both Anglo-Indian. Uh, they, they, their parents wanted a better life for, for them, and they, they wanted out. Because I guess after independence in 1948, the Anglo-Indians didn't really have a place anymore. So your grandparents were living here too? Or? Grandparents moved to Australia as well. Wow. And they don't consider themselves Indian either, even though they talked like, talk like this and were born there. They would say, we are British. <laughs> So yeah. I, I guess there's been this curiosity uh, for you as you were growing up constantly and wanting to... When did you start to delve into your Indian heritage? And in my... Identity. I'd say in my mid-twenties. I think um, being in high school, I went to a performing arts high school, so I was in this protected environment. And at acting school as well, it was you know very protected. And it wasn't until I got out into the... Uh, entertainment industry when I realized I realized people were treating me differently and I was treated like an ethnic man for the first time and I didn't feel I was that because so, you didn't go to performing arts school till year 11 and 12 but yes. preceding that you grew up in the western suburbs did I you did. experience much racism there 
Not at all. Right. No, not as a not as a child. Not in my early teens. I went to a. Um, I suppose I'm quite mixed, multicultural. Very multicultural. Society, yeah. yeah. I grew up in a really white area, but right. then and I was the only brown kid. But then in early high school, I went to school in Girraween, which was a selective school for kind of maths and science kids and um, mostly Asian, Indian, Sri Lankan, and hardly any Aussies there. So it was kind of cool getting that um, perspective of life um, and getting to understand different cultures. And then going to Newtown High School, suddenly a whole new world opened up as well. So yeah, I got a, it was a pretty, pretty awesome childhood in that sense, my teen years anyway. You're school captain. I was know. school captain. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that was that was exciting. Well, you must have earned a bit of kudos with the um, with, with the staff and and your fellow peers. I was I was yeah I was the drama boy. My mum is actually on tour in Turkey with my old high school teacher Judith Woodruff. Oh, by accident they just ended really? up they just bumped into each other. Bumped into each other. It's a similar and, tour. Yeah, isn't yeah. that it's so strange? Yeah, That's Judith Woodruff. Yeah, she's amazing. I yeah. think yes. She is, indeed. Um, so you then got into NIDA. I did, you yeah. were, I think, one of the youngest students ever yeah. accepted straight out of high school. Yes. Yeah, I believe so. It was it was an awesome time. Awesome, but was it daunting? I mean, you were, what, 17, barely 18? and I it, mean, drama school could be quite demanding on it, all sorts of levels. Yeah, it really was. All I wanted at the end of year 12 was to get into on stage oh, okay. <laughs> for, for your, with your GP or your IFE yeah. for both yeah. um, but I got in for my GP um, and I wanted to get into an acting school I was I was happy if I got into Nep- I auditioned for Nepean and I got into Nepean um, which I, existed then it's it did no yeah this, is it? Mm. I, I got into Nepean and I want I was I would have been happy to have gone to Wollongong to do the creative arts auditioned for all of them didn't get into WAPA or VCA and got into neither so um, so we're doing school plays Preceding Newtown performing arts, yeah, but never. Get, I was young. I was only. Right. I never got lead roles. Newtown gave me the opportunity to to play some pretty amazing roles and to learn about amazing playwrights. So it kind of got me ready for for NIDA, I think. So what was the attraction to Newtown anyway? To go there in year eleven and twelve, you obviously were bitten by the bug somehow. We all. I, I went because my old high school, Girraween High School, was a selective school. Right. They had no drama department there um, for. Uh, year 11 and 12 and I begged my mum I said I don't think I can stay here well I mean it probably would have been good academically to have stayed on if I wanted to be a mathematician or a scientist or something but But you want to be an artist I wanted to be an actor so my mum kind of pulled a few strings and I actually went to Northmead High School I I changed schools because I'm a Westie grew up out west and I went there for one day and realised that it wasn't for me because no one would get up to do their Commedia dell'arte um, improvs. Right. And um, I said, Mum, I have to go back to Girraween High School. This is not going to work. And she called uh, Newtown High School and somehow got me an interview. So I actually did an audition to get into Newtown. Oh, I'll keep that quiet. Oh, whoops. <laughs> so I got, I got an interview. Someone dropped out and then I got in. But I didn't audition to get into Newtown. Yeah, it's a bit of a... It's quite scandalous because... I know there's a big waiting list for yeah. kids to get in. So it was completely by chance. I hope you auditioned for Nida. I did audition for Nida. Good, 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 good. <laughs> didn't get straight in. Um, <laughs> do you remember the first live performance you saw? Um, as a child or yeah, as yeah, an adult? Just, uh, no, as a yeah, child. Yeah, yeah. Three Little Pigs, Panto at the Riverside Theatre. Right. Yeah. I remember it being really, really magical and um, hammy and... Uh, 
it's an early memory. I think I was about five, five or four. Yeah, I'll never forget that. What sort of child were you? Were you an introvert or a show-off? Um, I'd say I was probably a show-off, yeah. I had quite a balanced childhood. I played rugby league. I was actually a professional rugby league player by the age of 16. Wow. So I, I, uh, I played league since the age of five. And then by 16, I was um, playing representative footy for Parramatta and getting paid. And if I'd stayed on, I would have been in uh, reserve grade for Parramatta Eels. And so my colleagues, I, I grew up... Did with, you enjoy all that? Obviously you did. You towards the end, successful. I didn't enjoy it. Right. Um, because I was a lot bigger than the other boys. And so I used to get targeted a lot because I was big. I was a front row forward. Right. So I broke my nose and dislocated my shoulder. Oh and um, I was... I, my dad wanted me to be this this kind of star footy player. And I was groomed into that. Um, which surprises a lot of people because yeah. it's so not me yeah um, because you, you say big but I mean you're not you're not tall I mean you're tall but you're not huge but you were quite stocky were you? I was a when big you're... I was just broad I was right. a big I was a big guy they used to call me the refrigerator <laughs> when that was my, my nickname and I wasn't sure if it was because I was rectangular or because yeah. I had a lot of food in me but uh, right. oh, a bit of both probably yeah <laughs> but I had an alternative life as a um, as a footy player which is amazing well, you could have done that and then gone to NIDA as certain other football I players. I suppose I, yeah. That, <laughs> yeah, I suppose. There you go. So anything is possible, Nicholas. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what were your parents' expectations? Did they approve of a, a career in the arts? They they were very supportive, um, surprisingly, I guess, because they're, they're not the typical Indian parents. So I think people would expect that my parents would have been, oh, you have to be a, a doctor or an accountant or something. But... They, they used to drop me off to auditions when I was younger and I was in a boys choir from the age of uh, 9 to 15. So I, I did the footy but I also sang in choirs um, and I had that balanced kind of life between music and sport when I was a kid. Um, but when I said I wanted to be an actor at a very young age, they, they supported it and my mum said, okay, well if you're going to change schools you have to go to Newtown High School. And then... Well, it's great that she was aware that Newtown existed, or did you find Newtown? She knew about it. She's a right. t- yeah, she's a teacher. Oh, okay, so great. She, so she, she knew, knew all about it. System. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they've actually been very supportive. Less so as I got older. I think they were supportive when I was younger, because wonderful things happened, <laughs> and everything I wanted came true in the early days. And it wasn't until I faced difficulty, and it wasn't until I struggled that they realised, okay, this is. This is not good. Right. Yeah. What did you learn at night about um, being an actor and about being a person? <laughs> Double banger there. Yeah. I learnt a lot of theory um, and studied really, really, really hard because I was only 17 when, when I started. Um, but I didn't have any life experience to apply it. And so that's what enriches the actor's palate doesn't mm. it a life experience yeah I think so I was probably too young to go um, but I uh, I did everything backwards I remember years later or even one or two years later realising oh that's what Kevin Jackson was talking about or that's what that book meant because I didn't get it at the time but I was able to to deliver I suppose um, I was pretty confident, um, but NIDA broke my confidence completely. I, I didn't, I didn't think I was a good actor. After NIDA, I was worried. 
um, it, it, it was um, it was a different time back then for, for that institution and they very much operated through fear. So when I was in first year, I was just terrified that I was going to get kicked out. I remember at the end of first year, I went up to Keith Bain, who was our movement teacher, and I said, oh, I just wanted to say I'm Nicholas, you know, because he'd never... I just thought that Engaged the teachers or... didn't... They didn't talk to me because I... Right. And I, looking back now, I think if you're going to take someone that young, you've got to nurture them. Absolutely. And I wasn't nurtured. Um, Kevin Jackson was, was actually one of the only ones that really, really took the time um, to, yeah, to nurture and to teach me things, I think. Otherwise, I was left to my own devices. Yeah. I'll never forget my, the first scene work we did was The Removalists. And they cast me at 18, this big brown kid, as the 50-year-old cop, I can't remember his name, the constable, yep. at 18, like the brown guy playing this Aussie old, older, older guy. And I, I'd got bad marks and they told me that it just wasn't a realistic performance. And I remember just thinking, what? Well, why would you bloody cast me as this 50-year-old white but cop is, if, is if you want to be realistic? drama exercise to put you out of your comfort zone, I suppose, yeah, I suppose. and see how far you can extend yourself? Yeah. Even though, you, yes, you would never, ever be. Well, who's to say never? When this day of colourblind casting, etc., that's true. You playing one yeah, day. I just feel that they didn't know what to do, what to do with me because I was the young brown guy, and that they were. Do you think you might have been taken on because you were the young brown guy? I had a few um, parents' friends say that to my face when I was seventeen, which really hurt um, because I know that I probably got in because because of merit because I, I I honestly knew about ten Shakespeare monologues and I. I I went in and I had options and, you know, one thing didn't work and they said, have you got something else? And I, could, I, had, I had other monologues ready to go. So, I mean, I'm sure it helped because there weren't many brown actors back then at all, um, which was kind of difficult for me when I got out because there was just no community. So mm. I felt like I was on my own mm. trying to do something that hadn't been done before. Um, it might have swayed the decision process a little bit. However, yes, you are a very fine actor and they obviously recognise that. And I think they saw the, they saw the, the potential. Yeah, I think it's potential, isn't it? Well, most yeah. people get into acting school because of a bit of talent, and also because of the way they look. Mm. You know, oh, this person's good looking, or this woman's hot, or this person will be a commercial. Good character lady. Yeah, yeah. Good so it's man. all about it's mm. all about what you look like. So mm. you know, is drama school for everyone? Uh, definitely not. No, definitely not. You, I've seen actors ruined. You require a bit of self belief and resilience, don't you? To sort of to get through yeah yeah it's tough at times yeah if i went um now I, it would be a completely different experience for me yeah i would have stood up for myself a lot more and i would have made friends with the staff rather than be terrified of them yeah but when you're young you don't want to be feeling like you don't want to put anyone's nose out of joint in case that harms your career i just didn't want to get kicked out yeah and all of that is nonsense because it doesn't Come into the equation at all? Exactly, and they made that awful reality TV show. While oh, I was were you in involved with that uh, drama school? Drama school. It was I don't what, know how they how they let the doors open. We because it's such a vulnerable process. We did not. They did not ask permission. They just told us it was happening. The cameras were following us around in our third year. It was horrible. It really interfered with the whole process. Yeah. I'm often said some of the workplaces I've worked in, I said, we should be a reality show, would be top rating. Yeah. But that's why you don't have cameras in. Yeah. Yeah. But they, yeah, they angled that as, as this reality thing. And will, will Zoe get kicked out next week, you know? 
ridiculous. It was horrible playing with yeah. people's emotions, real yeah, that, life. That place was our life, you know. Yeah, it was. So after graduating, what was the process of acquiring an agent? Was that an easy one for you? Uh, I got a couple of offers on Agents Day and I was pleased. I certainly didn't get like 10 or 20 like a lot of the other people in my year. Um, so I had I could choose between three and ended up with, um, with an agent who'd been around for many years who had a lot of uh, kind of East Street actors on her books. And um, I was definitely the only brown guy on her books. So she, I don't think she quite knew what to do with me or how we were going to get by um but those that first those first few years i will always remember being really 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 hard and she was very um honest with me about um what was happening in the industry and she was just saying i'm sorry they just won't see you because you're brown or they don't want a brown actor i pushed it sucks i know i'm really really sorry so i i just got told this all the time and there was nothing i could do and it was really upsetting, you know, as a, as a young actor with, you know, big dreams. You've spent three years of your life training, yeah. investing an emotional desire to be an actor. And then, yeah. yeah. So well, I knew it, it was going to be hard. I knew. So the castings but, you were going to, yeah. was the room full of brown faces? Or? Well, no, there weren't any actors who were brown. Back right. Then. Okay. So you were competing against white actors for various roles in soaps. Yeah. 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 And yeah, there were yeah, some horrible horrible castings I went to you know where the casting agent said what are you doing here we've got uh, we're trying to find a family here for a commercial and we've just got you know white women in to play your mother why would you be here and well you should have looked at the headshot lady because mm. I've been sent here you know mm. stuff like that you know where it was just very blatant so the racism that, that's about 15 years ago this was yeah, yeah 2001 2002 has yeah. casting got a a bit better now. We're starting to see brown faces in Ramsey Street and Summer Bay, and yeah. we are so so much are, better. It is a lot better. The diversity, yeah, but there's, sometimes there's still these tokenistic characters, you know. Um, but I've learnt to embrace that, you know, because um, you have. I, I think the, I think you need to embrace the stereotype in order to to break it, you know. Um, so I was happy. And I eventually did get on television playing an Indian character, of course. Um, I had to do an accent and do the whole thing. Really? Um, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. But that was, that, was, that was in 2002, which was pretty good. It took me two years to get a job. I uh, <laughs> talked on another episode to Fiona Choi. Yeah. Um, and she talked about uh, Yellowface, you know, an oh Asian God. actor's being required to play no. that stereotypical oh, okay. Asian character. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so it happens. I suppose because you look different, you have to sound different in the eyes of some. That's that's how it narrow-minded seems. casting people or, or directors. That's completely changed now, though. It's very different now. Yeah, good, good to see. <laughs> because of course you you got a gig on Play School. I did, yeah. So you must have been one of the first multicultural faces. Now they've had a lot of multicultural faces. Yeah, I mean. Um, in the 80s when I was growing up was it Trish Trish Goddard oh yeah absolutely yeah. she was, was the first from... brown woman on play school I'd say and then um, Karen Pang who was a couple of years above me at NIDA got into play school in 2001 and then uh, Deborah Malman was on it for a while and uh, Leah Vanderberg who's another Anglo-Indian actor she's amazing I love doing episodes with her so yeah I definitely wasn't the first the first um, first Indian guy Indian Aussie guy on play school, yeah. That's, that's, that was six. That took me sixteen years. 
to be cast on Play School. Yeah, yeah. I, I auditioned four times. Yeah, it was the fourth go I got in. Because mm. uh, you weren't... They didn't think you were ready for it or... I mean, who knows? Who knows what people are looking for in a casting Who yeah. knows? Yeah. But I think I was in my mid-30s at the time and was probably a bit more fatherly and, you know... Well, it requires a really specific skill, I yeah. suppose, to sort of... Kids can spot bullshit. Totally. I was too, and you're not being authentic. I, I was a young trash bag in my 20s when I auditioned all of those no. times. and, and uh, <laughs> They probably smelt you as you walked through the door. <laughs> I, shouldn't be around, I shouldn't have been around kids at that time. Um, no. So I think it's, it's, it's maturity, yeah. You've recently become a dad. Yes. How has that changed you as an actor? And as, and as a person, there you go, that's a similar question to the getting into NIDA. It's changed my, my desire... Um, and um, it hasn't made me less ambitious but it's made me prioritise things Um, because I've just always been a ridiculously ambitious Capricorn and have just kind of gone um, towards my goals I suppose and and left the country a few times and left relationships and put my career first or just chasing that dream I suppose Mm. and having kids is just made me prioritise family and, and friendship and love a lot more. And then since then, everything else has just kind of fallen into place, is flowing a lot more. Yeah. So that's how it's, it's definitely definitely changed changed me and changed my approach to the industry. Yeah. Um, I loved reading your bio and that you've visited quite a few international festivals. You've been to Mumbai and Belgium and Transylvania, yeah. and Brisbane. Um, I <laughs> Brizzy. Mean, that, that's quite a bit of exposure to cultural storytelling. Yeah. What do you pick up from being in festivals like that? Um, the main thing is this cultural exchange and meeting other artists from around the world and seeing the work that they create because um, most of the festivals that I've been a part of, have, um, have been, the works have been um, original works. Um, the, the one I remember very clearly was um, uh, when I was uh, for, uh, in Brussels for the Kunsten Festival des Arts and um, I was there with an Indian play and it was just wild. It was so eye-opening being in my mid-twenties and, and seeing work from around the world and crazy European directors doing wonderful groundbreaking stuff because at that time you just wouldn't see it in Australia mm. and Aussie directors don't quite work like that or haven't worked like that or maybe don't have the budget but it was it was pretty amazing moving to India somehow ended up taking me around the world I thought I was going to be based there and that that was it that I would live there for a long time but the moment I got there I got a job that took me to the UK on tour and um the next job I got took me to, to Brussels and the next one all around the world. So I actually, even though I was based in Mumbai for six or seven years, I actually ended up being, uh, I was traveling around the world for a lot of that, which was so awesome. Brilliant, yeah. Getting out of Australia was one of the best things I ever did. <laughs> <laughs> in Melbourne this week, we've had the Helpman Awards mm. and great to see a, a fabulous Sri Lankan epic, Counting and Cracking, that you're part of. Yeah. Scoop a lot of the awards. Yeah, I'm so proud of of Shakti, the the writer and director, and um, so grateful that Belvoir took it on. It was a very very difficult process getting that play up. I was uh, involved um, since 2011. Shakti and I met and uh, 
he's, he's a writer and I'm a writer as well and we, we sort of met and shared stories and I sent him my play he, he sent me his which was called Accounting and Cracking of Heads at the time and we ended up working together and um, pitching the play to a couple of theatre companies uh, back in 2011 I was playing the younger role of Sid at the time um, and we had to repitch it again and then again in 2013 and then Belvoir came on board and it took another five years after Belvoir came on board to to get the funding to put it on. And by that time, I had to play the, the uncle role because I was too old to play the, the young Sri Lankan guy. Um, but it's been so amazing to to have been involved since the very beginning and I was very, very proud to see it win all those awards. It's very emotional for me, actually. I get... I get emotional when um, when uh, diversity starts, uh, I, I guess, kicking goals. When, yeah. when we start kicking goals, um, because it's been something I've, I've put so much time and effort into um, breaking down these barriers over the years. When we finally, you know, get somewhere, it, there's a bit of sweetness to it as well. Mm. Um, but I was very proud last night. Yeah. Because I, I felt like I was the, the poster boy for diversity for, for many, many years. And then I just got exhausted because it was so difficult. Now it's just nice to see it all happening in the younger... There are younger ones out there. And, you know, Vaishnavi, who was in the show, won Best Supporting Actress, young Indian, Australian actor, is winning a Helpman. It's pretty amazing, you know? Yeah. You've written your own play. You yeah. touched on there, called Lighten Up. Yeah. Tell us what that is, was about, is about. Yeah. Uh, and why you wrote it? Uh, my play Lighten Up was uh, based on a screenplay that I wrote many years ago, actually. Um, and it, it's about being Anglo-Indian and Australian. And it's basically... Um, it it's was a, a story about a, a, an Anglo-Indian guy whose mother wanted to um, uh, cleanse the ethnicity in their bloodline. And Well, the promo material says a tale of identity, cultural assimilation and bleaching your bits. Bleaching your bits. That's exactly (laughs) what the show is about. Yeah. Bleaching. Bleaching. Skin bleaching. Is that a thing? Skin bleaching. Well, Fair and Lovely is the number one cosmetic in India. Um, And it's uh, skin bleach is a huge issue in many Asian and black countries as well. My mum used to use skin bleach when she was young and she used to make me put it on as well when I was a kid. Just to make you look fairer. To make me look fairer. So I grew up thinking that I needed to be whiter. Is um, that a sense of shame or because the, fair, the fairer you are, the more successful you are? Yeah, it? yeah. Was, it, there was a sense of shame for sure. Right. I hated my skin colour. I hated my Indian nose. I hated my brown nipples. I hated my brown areolas. My, I, I was ashamed. I, ha- I hated myself. And um, I, would, I mean, it, it's ridiculous to think that you'd, you'd bring kids up you know, with shame, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't, like, I don't blame my parents anymore. But the play was about that. Um, and it was, a, it was about a relationship that uh, the, the lead role had with an Indigenous woman and the, the conflict that that created because the mother wanted white grandkids and wanted um, her son to, to procreate with a white woman and he fell for an Indigenous woman. So that was what the, the play was about. It was a comedy. <laughs> You said my attempt it was my attempt to make some sort of shift in the Australian psyche to bring on an awareness to the underlying racism we have here that is not always seen and felt. Mm. It's a story about owning and celebrating one's identity, no matter how mixed up it is. Yeah. So is theatre always successful at doing that? I mean, obviously, com- comedy is a good way of 
communicating the message. Yeah, I look. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if Lighten Up was the success I wanted it to be. Um, it. I think it'll be a lot easier now to get these multicultural stories up. Um, but this this play wasn't about being black or brown. It was about being in between. It was this in between area. So it was it was quite difficult to to write about it because um, you're neither here nor there. Um, so I mean, hopefully, hopefully there's there's more plays that are exploring that grey area, you know, because we're all mixed. I think you know, and we're all heading that way. Absolutely. Yeah. As an actor, do you read your reviews? Uh, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I I ask everybody that question when I talk to them, and they generally say yes. I mean, it's hard not to, isn't it? Yeah, and then it, I don't post. I don't post reviews online. Right. I, I read them. Yeah. And you take note of what you want to take note of. But it's one person. I don't. I don't. Opinion, I don't it? take note of them. Right. You're I just you're I, amused by them. Yeah. 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 I think. Oh, this writer, you know, used a thesaurus for the, for, for this review. <laughs> <laughs> Pop Desi Radio on SBS. You were a radio announcer for a while. I was. Yeah. yeah. So that was just spinning. Uh, Bollywood hits, yeah, spinning, spinning Bollywood tunes. Yeah, I, I I came back from India for a few years. This was in, in between visits, and uh, a mate of mine was working for SBS, and Pop Asia was huge and still is. And they tried to make a um, an Indian version for the Indian community. Um, and so, are they I, different been... styles of music? Bollywood, Bangla, and Desi. Yeah, yeah. Well, Bolly, Bollywood music comes from Bollywood films. Yes. Um, and it's usually in Hindi. Um, and it's very bouncy and alive. Yeah, and yeah. There's a lot of auto-tune these days and it's, it's, it's pretty amazing. Um, but there's so many different areas and regions in India. So I, I really push to get um, different, um, different sounds and Aussie Indian music um, up on the radio, which was challenging. Um, what does Desi mean? Desi uh, means uh, the diaspora of uh, Indians around the world, basically. Okay. Like if you're, you can be a Desi girl, a Desi, a Desi guy, a Desi family. Yeah. What's yeah. your favourite genre of music? Um, modern classical music, yeah. I listen to a lot of Icelandic music. Bjork? I mean, I love Bjork. Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah. 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 Björk is how you pronounce Björk, it. Björk, is it? Björk. Not Björk. Björk. I was just in Iceland last year, so yeah. I learned how to, to roll the R's. All right. And I can say the name of the volcano. What is that? Really? Yeah, they use a lot of double L is pronounced and O is pronounced Yeah. You spent a lot of time practicing, I know. Don't yeah. expect me to get it off. I'm not asking you to. That. Very good, thank you. <laughs> What's the name of the um, volcano again? Fantastic. So you had a time in Mumbai. Yeah. And entered the the Bollywood industry. I did, yeah. Was that easy to enter an industry like that? Once I got in, I didn't find it uh, easy, but it happened so easily for me when I first went over there. I couldn't, I just couldn't believe my luck when I. Did you have to find representation or? A, no, they no? didn't have managers or agents there at that time. So was it an open call? No, I mean, no, no it, I, I, it, everything just fell into place. When I got there, I looked online at every single Bollywood um, production company and I had my showreel on DVD and I made hundreds of copies and I hired a, a, a driver, um, got a rickshaw <laughs> and dropped my um, showreel to every single production company that I could find online. 
and I, and I had no idea how I was going to do it. I, I mean, there are a million people in Mumbai and thousands of actors arrive there every day and I couldn't speak the language and I just thought, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna get amongst it. And I was in my 20s and I thought, I've got nothing to lose. And um, it just so happened that one of the biggest producers saw the, sh- the show reel that I dropped off, had my number on it. He called me, they were casting for um, an international Bollywood film, which was a, a Hinglish film they're called, which was half English, half Hindi. And they were looking for uh, an international kind of Indian guy that wasn't from India. And I went in and he, he, the producer looked at me. He ended up being Rakesh Roshan, who's a huge producer from the 70s and 80s and still now. And his son's a big Bollywood star, like the Brad Pitt of India. And um, he just sort of looked at me and said, this is your destiny you know, the role is yours, come in and meet the director. And I had to do a couple of auditions in Spanish because it was um, a bilingual film. Um, but it, it, it honestly, it, it was like destiny. I couldn't believe it. it. It just all happened in the first few months. Yeah, it was amazing. So how many films did you do while up? Because um, Love You To Death? Love You To Death yeah. was the second one, which is a little indie film, which uh, yeah didn't do so well. Um, three, three all up. Um, Kites? Kites was the, the first one, which was the big action film that was the one that I got first up sedition yeah. sedition yes yeah, sedition is a, another one that that's a English film as well which is yet to be released yeah. right okay um, yeah. you, you played the villain quite a bit didn't you yeah what, what is it about you and the villain role <laughs> I got typecast as the villain and I was they're the happy. best roles mind you I think so yeah. well over there you can um, there are uh, the actors are called uh, heroes Heroines, villains, vamps. Villains. Villain, the villain. The villain. <laughs> and um, uh, vamps. What's the word? The, the, like the funny, the funny the fat best friend. Comic, best friend. Yeah, comic, comic best friend. Sidekick. Yeah. Um, and when I first started auditioning over there, they would say, do you know the nine faces of Bollywood? And I said, what do you mean? And they, they said, the nine faces, you know, greed, lust, anger, all this sort of stuff. And that's, that's the way Bollywood worked back in the old days. And... I think because I didn't subscribe to that, I kind of said, no, I, well, I'll react in the moment and that's, I won't plan. That was your, your action, was it? Your, they, your actor's note. I want more lust here. I want more greed. Greedier, yeah. <laughs> lustier. <laughs> I think it was because my Hindi wasn't great and the villain can um, afford to have a, a different sort of accent. It makes it kind of interesting. Remember back in the day when they did Octopussy? Yes, um, the James the, Bond villains. The James Bond They're villains. always a different nationality. Always different nationality. Yeah. So Kabir Bedi was um, the villain in Octopussy who, uh, was, uh, who is a famous Indian actor. He, he actually played my father in Kites. So I think the fact that I had an accent um, made it um, more interesting. Mm-hmm. And my Hindi is kind of bad. Um, and when I'd speak it, they'd say, oh, you sound like a Frenchman speaking Hindi. And so... I just kept getting villainous roles because I, I think maybe because of my voice. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. I believe you've created your own Bollywood dance move. Oh, I've got a few. Oh, you, but you, you create your own, do you? That, that Sometimes. Is assigned to the actor or the character? I did or, or. No, you did. You created your own. Well, that's what I read. Really? Yeah. Oh. oh I've definitely got a few. Yeah, some, right. some signature ones. Yeah, there's one that I made up in, in high school, surprisingly, and 
Oh, pre Bollywood. Yeah. Pre Bollywood. Right. It stayed with me. Yeah. Were you watching Bollywood films in your teenage years? Or? Not at no. all. No. no, it wasn't until I went over there. Yeah, and it's really interesting seeing a couple of other Aussie Indians who've gone over and done really well. They've grown up as Indians watching Bollywood films and knew so much more than I did. Right. Yeah, I, I was. Um, it was all very new to me. How does the Indian film industry differ from the Australian one? Well, there are hundreds of movies made each year so it's a thriving thriving industry um people the population of a billion people support indian films so they're, they're very patriotic so um, are there several um studios oh yeah Hun- hundreds yeah right. all over india but in mumbai there are about six or seven big studios and they're all original stories or are they stories adapted oh, sometimes from traditional I mean, a lot of the stories have been stolen from English films or foreign films. I mean, in India, anything goes. There's no equity. There's, you know, really there's no copyright. So it's, it's, it's a mess over there. Right. And the Indian film industry is, is messy and bizarre. And it used to be funded by the, the black market over there. So a lot of the producers are kind of gangsters. My producer... Um, had a gun wound because he was shot because there was some story that he would, he owed millions of dollars to these gangsters. It's it's a completely different world, but they churn out movie after movie. And how does the population watch those? It, is this Bollywood, streaming or videos or that cinemas? Cinema. cinema. Well, it's all streaming now, of course. Right. Um, but they go to the cinema. Right. They go and and the poor people go to the cinema as well. There are there are um, really modern cinemas where the tickets are more expensive where the more affluent people go. And then there are the, the, the old school cinemas where, you know, um, all sorts of people go to. And the, the, the lower caste people, I suppose, would go to. And it, Bollywood is like a spirituality over there. And they treat their, their actors like they're gods. You know, it's, it's amazing. There's no tall poppy syndrome over there, that's for sure. And they love cinema. Cinema is part of their psyche. And that's exciting. Yeah. yeah. Because... Aussies don't support Aussie cinema. People, you know, won't go to a movie to support an Australian film. They'll wait for it to come to DVD, you know. It's very different like that, yeah. yeah. Now for something completely different, mm. what's it like being part of your first big Broadway musical? Wow, it's been... Well, it's actually, it's not, it's not American, is it? It's Canadian. It's a Canadian Broadway, musical. Yeah, which has had huge success on Broadway and the West End. Yeah. And about to open in Melbourne. I know. Yeah, yeah we're about to open. We open on Saturday. It's been a, a very different experience for me. Um, I've, I haven't been in a musical in Australia since my last year at acting school. Um, Berlin to Broadway. Berlin to Broadway that Jim Sharman directed. Um, I did a couple of stage shows in, in India, but that's a, that's a completely different story. Beauty and the Beast. Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> I remember It was a that. big Disney arena spectacular, yeah. and that was wonderful. This has been interesting because it's a franchise, um, and... I've been very fortunate over the last few years to originate roles mm. and to, to work with mm. um, uh, directors and writers on, on new plays. And um, This requires a very different discipline. A very different yeah. discipline, yeah. To, to, play, um, yeah. to play a character that's based on a real person is always a, a joy and a blessing as well. So, so would you describe it as like a verbatim musical? It's, that's exactly what it is. Because the, the writers actually... Well, let's, first of all, what's Come From Away about? Come From Away is about a town in Newfoundland called Gander. Um, and it's set around the time of 
and 38 planes were diverted to Gander in Newfoundland. Because the airspace was closed. The airspace was closed for five days and thousands of people were stranded uh, in Gander suddenly, which is a small, small, small town um, on on an island. And uh, it was a... um, it was a huge deal for the people who lived there um, because they'd nearly doubled population suddenly with all of these people and they just welcomed people from around the world with open arms. And I guess no one really heard about what happened during those five days because the tragedy was so huge and it wasn't until years later that stories started to emerge and um, there was a 10th anniversary because so many friendships were formed during that time between the passengers and the people who lived in Gander. Uh, two, write, two Canadian writers had heard about it from uh, another producer and they went there and they gathered interviews at the 10th anniversary. Um, and from that, they put together this verbatim musical, which they performed at one of the universities in America. And it's just been this dream journey for them. I was chatting with uh, one of the producers who created it, who actually had the initial idea and contacted the um, composers. And never in his wildest dreams did he think that it would end up on Broadway and then on the West End, touring around America and Australia. It's just gone global, yeah. It's a great ensemble piece too, isn't it? How many of you on stage? There's about 12? There's 12 of us, yeah. yeah. And musicians as well, live musicians on stage. And you play a variety of characters? Yeah, we all play about five or six characters. So who do you play? I play a gentleman called Kevin Jay, who um, was in a a homosexual relationship with his boyfriend during the time, and he was um, sent to Gander. And this is back in 2001. And I guess the story is about people from different cultures all coming together. And it was quite amazing that these this gay couple were in Gander at the time. And they were worried that um, there'd be some discrimination against them. But of course, they were welcome. Because this is 2001. This is 2001. Mm. They were welcome with open arms in this small town. So the beautiful thing about the show is that it, it um, I think it's... Uh, it's about accepting all religions, all people from all walks of life. Um, and during this time where you know borders are being put up everywhere, it's nice that there's a musical about that. You know, yeah, mm. it's a great celebration of the kindness of the human spirit. Yeah. So yeah. I play Kevin Jay and another character called Ali, who's an Egyptian um, American guy, who um, who would be treated with some suspect, I guess. Yeah. yeah. So that's especially considering what had just happened in during New York. that time. Yeah. yeah so. It's not all um, roses, I suppose, in the musical. So my character, Ali, is probably the only conflict that we see in the play because everything else is about kindness and, and beauty, really. Um, so it's, it's a really important role, the Ali character and what he goes through. Yeah. What are you reading at the moment? I am reading um, a book by Alejandro Jodorowsky called Psychomagic. Yeah. Um, he is a Mexican filmmaker who made Holy Mountain in the 70s and he does a lot of um, uh, wonderful arty kind of work. And he created this spirituality called Psychomagic, which uses theatrical acts to, um, to heal. And um, he works through tarot and it's a book about his spirituality that he's created. Yeah. What, are you, what are you listening to? I'm listening to... Uh, listening to a woman called Susan Sundfor, who is a Norwegian singer-songwriter. I discovered her in Iceland last year, and she's a wonderful cross between uh, Tori Amos, Kate Bush, Björk, 
Um, she's an amazing singer. And her tone is incredible and her lyrics are inspiring. What's her name? Susan Sundfall. I'll have to look her up. She is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And what are you watching? God, I wish I could watch. You don't have I haven't had time. I saw an amazing Korean film last Tuesday called Parasite. Have you heard about it? No. no. Oh my gosh, it was electrifying. Yeah. Yeah, it was electrifying. So that's on an art houses at the moment? Yeah, it's on the art house in, in Carlton right. up here. I, I highly recommend it. Korean films are, are bizarre and wonderful. Yeah. And one final question What was it like being a Clio Bachelor of the Year nominee? <laughs> <laughs> the oh things you read when you oh look somebody gosh. up. Yeah, I, you, you oh, I didn't nominate myself, and yeah. I, I didn't, I didn't win. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. I was delighted to see that. <laughs> Couldn't resist the stir. Um, <laughs> Nick, uh, thanks for chatting to Stages. Um, all the best with Come From Away. Um, thanks, Pete. I think it's going to be a big hit, and people are going to love it. So, I hope so. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Ah, the delightful Nick Brown. I was lucky enough to catch Come From Away in Melbourne recently. It is a sublime piece of theatre, beautifully crafted and performed by an outstanding cast. Don't miss it when it comes to you. If you enjoyed this conversation, you're bound to enjoy many more from the Stages archive. You'll find conversations with Tony Lamont, Geraldine Turner, Caroline O'Connor, Ruthie Henschel, Donna Lee and Chloe Delamore, a legion of leading ladies, and all with fascinating tales to tell across all stages. Find the podcast on Wooshka or in iTunes and Spotify. Don't forget to subscribe so that you may receive each new episode as it drops and take the time to rate and review the podcast, please. It helps us reach a broader audience and share these great conversations. I'm Peter Ayers, and you've been listening to Stages.